Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. If we can get the, the customers through the door, we will get the profit at the end of the month, you know, 19 times out of 20. And that is true to a certain extent. But the reality is that profit could be so much better as well. So we need to get more professional in what we do. And really, that's about wrapping our strategies and wrapping our investment around training our managers on the finances. This is financial maverick David Lund. He's a hospitality financial leadership pioneer who has branded himself the hotel financial coach. He helps clients to be more prosperous as individuals or teams. His list of clients and experience is incredible, from large hotel firms including the Fermat Hotels and Resort, Sheraton, Coast Hotels, Best Western and many others. David's background includes 30 years as a regional controller, corporate financial director, hotel manager and controller throughout Northern America at multiple locations. David shares how finance has a lot of myths around it, especially it's hard and difficult to learn and understand as a leader, and therefore he developed a unique approach to finance, which he called financial leadership. He explained how he's seen leaders' ability to understand and take action on their numbers is incredible, and even some leaders getting the promotion they were waiting for. We discuss how to improve your financial skills fast and how to make sure that you make an impact on things that matters right now, but also in the future. And David explains that the role of finance right now in hospitality and how it's crucial that we invest in our people to ride the storm of the pandemic. Also learn the importance of finance and cash flow in building a great business that not only makes profit, but also makes a significant impact on people, communities, and the planet. Before you tune in, please sign up for a weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. But now, please grab a coffee, a notebook, and let's get started to learn from a real finance maverick. I have personally really been looking forward today because... It's always been my perception that we, uh, in hospitality, sometimes when it comes to talking about numbers, becomes a bit scared. We we don't like these PL conversation or finance conversation. We just want to get them done, budget day or whatever it's called, budget planning day. Uh, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate because this is one of the key elements to run a healthy business. It has to be financially sound. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, it's not going to be me that's going to do the talking because I'm not an expert in this. Uh, I've invited David, uh, who is a true expert, and we'll tell that a bit more about himself in a second. But he has like more than four decades, you know, 
getting the numbers working in hospitality and actually try to change behaviors around what you know from the from the numbers without it has to actually impact the employee or customer experience negatively. So with that said, welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And I don't know if I, I gave I, I earned you the, 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 the true right here with my, my presentation of you, David, but can you tell people uh, a bit more about who you are, your journey, and, and what you're up to now and what you're doing through, through your business? Sure, thanks. Um, you know, you cast a pretty, pretty um, dark light on four decades, but I started quite young in hospitality, but uh, I spent the first 10 years or so in operations. And then uh, during yet another financial, you know, meltdown, uh, somebody offered me a lifeline, they offered me a job in accounting. And I said, accounting, what do you mean? <laughs> I thought it was some kind of a punishment. But a couple of people that uh, I had a lot of respect for said, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not like that. It's like this. So I gave it a try. And then for the next 20 some years, that was my role. And I grew from a junior accountant to become the you know regional director of finance. I had a role at our corporate office for a number of years in finance. And uh, about eight years ago, I started my own business around the hotel financial coach and helping people you know, be more comfortable with the numbers. And uh, that's sort of a, a brief synopsis of my career. Um, most of it was in Canada, uh, but also in the US uh, for a big brand, Fairmont, um, which is very prominent in North America, as well as uh, other parts of the world. Yeah. And uh, you said uh, get comfortable with the numbers, uh, David. Could, could you just tell me about what you mean about that and how that you're taking that approach into the business you do now and what activities you're doing for helping, you know, hotels operators and, and managers getting comfortable with numbers? Yeah. So, you know, I look at um, the numbers world this way is that there's, you know, literally thousands of courses for accountants. Um, but we don't want to teach people accounting. We want to teach people business thinking. We want to teach people to be comfortable managing their budgets and their forecasts, which means being comfortable managing their revenue and managing their payroll and their expenses. We have accountants to do the journal entries and to do month end and to reconcile the accounts. We don't ever want you to do accounting. Uh, these are operational people. So I call it financial skills for non-financial managers. And it's really training that's um, focused on what they understand and for me, that's sort of where I come from because I never went to, you know, accounting school. Um, I did a little bit of night classes after I, you know, got tripped up and got sent to my accounting position, but I don't have a accounting degree. Um, and I know that in the beginning, I thought it was very confusing. And I thought it was very scary, um, but I quickly learned it wasn't. And when I help clients, I look at it this way that they're on the other side of the bridge right now and they think that over here it looks scary but once i get them to come over here with me um, they realize it's not so scary it's not so confusing it's actually very it's very much rooted in common sense what typical happens when you start working with clients you've been on this journey for, for eight years now what what are because you're doing you have different couple of uh, you know solutions you have some online you also have some face-to-face -face, it's a consultancy but what is the typical situation where where do you get involved and what typical what outcomes are, are you are you getting out of these in, engagements yeah so when i work with individuals and i have an individual mentoring program coaching program 
I always find that, you know, the, the essential thing that's missing with that individual is confidence around the numbers. Because as I teach them and we go through the lessons and we practice each week on their numbers skills, they, they know a whole lot more than they think they know. They just haven't practiced. Um, so it's really about getting comfortable and it's really about practicing. And if, and if you think you were born without the financial gene, and I hear that from so many people that I'm bad with numbers, it just means you really haven't practiced. You haven't applied yourself. So then the other thing I do is I do the same thing, but in a group setting where we do workshops. And for the last year and a half, that's been online. But before, you know, COVID, I would be, you know, traveling to hotels and working with leadership teams to teach them um, financial leadership, how to be a GM and how to be a department head or an executive in a hotel company um, and be able to be comfortable with your numbers and to realize that it's just another part of your job. I think I think it's quite uh, interesting that you know you have a broad range of clients when when we look into it from in 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 the hospitality world. What are some of the you know very unique outcomes that comes out of this? Because you talk about confidence, and I think that's really interesting. People's confidence to do something. What what typical happens besides their confidence increase? What kind of results are they able to create on on the other side? Because when you get confidence, in my experience, is that there comes some quite incredible results out of that. Yeah. Well, everybody wants to get ahead. Everybody wants, you know, more responsibilities, greater prosperity. Um, And, you know, I'll tell you a story about one lady who hired me and she was the director of operations, the number two person in a uh, fairly large hotel in New York City. And uh, she said right out of the gate, she goes, you know, David, I've never been comfortable with the numbers. They scare the crap out of me. And typically, when I'm in the ownership meetings, I don't talk because I don't want to look stupid. Um, so I'd heard that a thousand times before. And I said, listen, you know, what, what we need to do is we need to go through some lessons and we need to practice. And it's just like if you're working with a personal trainer, you might start out being very, you know, a little bit overweight and, and weak. But in a, in a few short lessons, a, sh- a short amount of time, you're starting to feel strong. And that's what she started to feel. And throughout the engagement, which lasted about three months, she had an opportunity um, in one of these owner meetings, monthly meetings, to actually say something. And she came on the phone the next day and just absolutely was gushing with how proud she was of herself. And the following week, there was a reorganization within her company. And they have hotels in the UK, they have hotels in America, and she got offered a GM's job. And she was absolutely ready for it. But, you know, two months before that, she was walking around thinking, I don't know my numbers. I haven't got the comfort level to be able to speak and to, you know, show my truth. So that's really what it's about. It's about practicing. Um, and I and I firmly believe anybody, you know, uh, who's ready can learn. And I, I guess also that comes down to why you call it the... Uh the hotel financial coach because that's in principle what you do you help these individuals to get better at numbers and feel confident around them yeah i always say it's it's business thinking it's not accounting and it's not the hard part of hospitality and you know when i work with people i try not to use the word accounting um i call it financial leadership skills or another way of expressing that is business acumen and um person that I know who's in charge of a very large hotel company, she was interviewed uh, not that long ago. And she said, you know, the number one skill that I look for when we're recruiting GMs for our hotels is financial acumen. 
you know, I appreciate and I know that they're going to be great with their guests and great with their colleagues. But what I'm looking for is, can they um, talk about with confidence and with comfort, the numbers so that when they're in the meetings with the owners, um, they can really shine. Yeah, and I guess also it doesn't matter, you know, any strategy you put in place to improve the employee and customer journey, which is often a lot of what your job is. You also need to know how you resource that strategy and how actually it will look financially if it's successful. Absolutely. You know, um, if you're going to be the GM of the hotel, you need to understand that each department has a role to play in the successful execution of your strategy. And that means that each department needs to be able to deliver on their numbers, just like they need to be able to deliver um, on their guest satisfaction and their employee engagement. It's just another part of what we do. So having that strategy is something that's alive and you put wheels on rather than just hoping things work out. And that's one of the hallmarks in hospitality. And I even talk about it when I do keynotes is that, you know, we have this belief in hospitality that volume hides a multitude of sins. You know, um, if we can get the, the customers through the door, we will get the profit at the end of the month, you know, 19 times out of 20. And that is true to a certain extent. But the reality is that profit could be so much better as well. So we need to get more professional in what we do. And really, that's about wrapping our strategies and wrapping our investment around training our managers on the finances. We just gone through uh, a hell of a journey all over the world, no matter where you are in hospitality. And there's no doubt about, you know, financially, we all, there's the, the people that's left is definitely licking the wounds and now having new challenges, staff uh, crisis or uh, other food cost is going up for some uh, and, and many, many, many other challenges. But what is the role of finance in all this? Uh, because I guess, you know, often finance is connected with in any transformation cost savings. But uh, what, what do you think finance role are here right now? Yeah, so when I, when I think about that, we really have to step back and realize that in the hotel world, there's broadly speaking, three different types of ownership structures. There's the owner operator where the name on the door is, you know, the name of the person who owns the business. Then there's uh, franchises where, you know, um, it might say Marriott on the door, but, um, you know, it's owned by the person who's probably running the hotel or the business owner. Um, and he hires his people and he runs that franchise. And then the third type, which is the type that I'm most comfortable and familiar with, is the branded managed hotel, where the name on the door is the brand. They manage that property for a third party owner. And in that case, you know, um, what we need to realize is that um, the owner in that branded managed hotel, he pays for everything. He pays for the, the service. He pays for the engagement. He pays for all of the training. He pays for absolutely everything that happens inside of that building as it relates to that business. So what they could leverage, especially coming out of COVID, is owners want to have better financial returns. So what we need to do is we need to actually invest and train the managers and teach them the system to use to create better financial results. And by doing that, the brand doesn't have to invest. Um, they're going to tell the owners, this is the program we're doing. It's in next year's budget. That's the relationship that exists in that branded managed hotel. The brand sets the standards and the owner pays. 
So if the standard was that we're going to train all of our managers, everybody would win. The brand would have a, a better uh, squad of managers, greater uh, bench strength. The owner is going to benefit because they're going to get a better bottom line. And then the leaders, the ones that have been trained, are going to benefit because they're going to be worth more on the market. They're going to have better skills. And people in our business, we all move around you know, the globe, basically, in the hotel world. We're always on the move. And leaders know that if they have financial leadership skills, financial acumen, they're more valuable. They're going to have a better career. They're going to have more prosperity. It's, um, it's quite interesting when you're saying that as well, because what you're saying is investing in transferable skills. And I had a boss once that said to me that the most important thing we can do is invest in people's transferable skills because then they will not leave us because they know it's quite unique what we're getting here. So again, there's some maybe some retention even within that because you're going to learn something you know that's so valuable if I wanted to leave, but I'm probably not going to do it because now I'm actually being invested in. So I'm going to going to stay put and wait for more. Yeah, there's there's an image that comes to my mind listening to you right now, and it's it's this: it's two people having a conversation. It's the the CEO and the CFO, and the CFO says to the CEO, "What happens if we invest in our people and they leave?" And the wise CEO says to the CFO, what happens if we don't and they stay? That's the reality. Let that sink in. Because in hospitality, we need to invest in our people uh, if we want them to grow and to stay with us. And if anything that pandemic has taught us is that having people be willing to stick around and come back because we're such a great company and we look after our people and we invest in them, that's, you know, the people that are thriving today, midway through 2021, uh, have that as their core strategy. That leads me to, to the next question, David, because uh, what is the, the you, know, you call it the biggest, the most common myth you see that uh, is there when you when we, when we talk finance and hospitality? Uh, one of them is that, I'm not good at numbers. I would definitely agree. That's one of them. Is there another one that trumps that one, you would say? Yeah, I would say there's two other ones. One is that um, I don't want to share the financials, um, which means basically, you know, I don't want my managers to know how much money we're making. I don't want them to see how much we're paying certain people in certain departments. And that's a really um, negative attitude when it comes to the numbers, because the numbers, if I'm going to share the numbers with the managers in my business i'm going to tell them that i trust them that they were they are responsible members of my management team and you're going to see the results of our hotel operations you're going to see the budgets you're going to see the forecasts and i'm going to teach you how to use um, those reports to be able to manage your part of the business so i'm treating you with respect and you're going to see information that you know maybe at one point you would think would be, you know, sensational or whatever, but it's really not. It's just numbers. And that, that financial statement only serves two purposes. One, it helps us keep score. How are we doing the budget? How are we doing the last year? And the second thing is, is that it will show us where we have a problem and how to fix it. And then the other myth that I think is out there that really needs to be blown up is that, you know, the director of finance in the hotel is not the number one financial person. It's the GM. 
just like the GM is the number one salesperson, he's the number one HR person, he's the number one PR person, he's the number one financial leader because he needs to set the tone, she needs to set the tone for all of the other department managers when it comes to the numbers because those other department managers, they don't report to the director of finance, they report to the GM. So there's a big disconnect there if the GM isn't the number one financial uh, cheerleader in the hotel. Yeah, and again, I guess it comes down to, to job ownership as well. How can you really own that job if you don't own the the outcome, which is the money bit? Yeah, and you know, as as the GM of the hotel, it's my responsibility to deliver the results, whether it be you know great guest service score or great colleague engagement uh, review. Um, if I have a great P and L, if I have a great year, it's because I am running the hotel. And my team is delivering. Now, my financial person is the one who's the quarterback and he, you know, closes the books and he balances everything and he's teaching and coaching all of those managers on exactly what they need to do. But I'm the one who's standing up in front of the room every week, reminding those managers that this is part of their core responsibilities. And you also talked about that transparency uh, of the finance. I think that's super interesting. Uh, I, I also often call it, you know, open book management. And, and I become quite obsessive with that over the years because I, you know, I was very frustrated myself, um, not as a GM of a hotel, but a, a ops director of, of a chain of uh, cafes where I actually felt the only one that was looking at the numbers was me. And I didn't feel that. And everybody was scared of them. I found out that was why. My frustration was wrong. I, was, I hadn't trained them. So when we did that and I could be we focusing on, we had these meetings where it was actually them that was guiding us through the financial and not the other way around. It was not like, a, you know, almost that we were trying to extract information out of them. And I think that, that worked really well. And we got inspired a lot by Singerman's in, 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 in the US uh, that, that, that works on this principle. Um, and also the, the most extreme version I've seen as well is like when you don't open up the finance, then you start talking about how you set salaries and so on. And how can you have an open dialogue on that? And that can be quite scary for, for organization. But that's that's an interesting twist as well that you see, especially in tech companies are starting to happen to retain people actually that it's not something that's just made a decision on at the top, but it actually made a decision where the problems are solved, who gets paid what and who contributes most. I talked to a gentleman at a conference actually just before COVID. So early in 2020, and uh, he told me he had 16 hotels and I said, yeah, that's great. He goes, uh, you know, um, what do you think about um, the financial statements and who should see them? And I said, well, I think, you know, you're, GMs and your management teams should be looking at those every month. He goes, I don't even share the financial statements with my GMs. And he said it quite proudly. And I just looked at him and I said, well, how much better do you think it would be in your company if your GMs actually knew what was going on financially? And he just looked at me with a kind of a, a blank stare. But, um, you know, people just, some people just don't get the fact that, you know, in order to actually improve things we need to understand where we are today we need to be able to figure out what's working and what's not working and that's an ongoing process every day every week every month inside of our business and those are the tools we have to use um so if we're not using them then what's you know what's the point of even being in business really yeah, and I think also what happens sometimes, David, to that, that is that you, uh, as a top management team, tell them there's a labor problem, 
and then you don't give them the freedom to actually solve that problem. You almost dictate what the solution is, but you really don't know what the solution is because you're not in the front line every day. You don't let them own that problem and that financial part of it. You actually just say that this is the way you should do it, but that's not always the solution. You actually you actually need to coach and mentor them through it and actually, you know, and actually be a bit on the sideline and accept they're maybe not going to approach it the way you want to approach it. But what is important is not the outcome they have the first month is what they get in 12 months time. Yeah, it's the buy-in. And, you know, people maybe in the beginning, um, when they're introduced to the numbers, they may be scared or they may be not sure. But um, in my experience, managers love to have the responsibility and they love to be given the responsibility to do their own numbers. So that's another thing that I see all the time is that, you know, the director of finance and the GM will make up the budget and then they'll give it to the department managers. And when that happens, there's zero buy-in. So we have to reverse engineer that and actually get the department manager to do their own budgets and forecasts and to battle their way through getting those approved so that they really understand what they can have, what's reasonable and the relationship to the revenues. That's when things really start to happen magically for the leadership team and for the managers inside of that group it's so it's really well connected where, where we're taking the conversation to the next question i want to ask you because like you know we're talking about financial skills here uh, or financial leadership skills let's keep it in your in your your language i love that because it actually takes the danger out of it in a way what what are the common barriers really to to adopt this kind of practice into uh into a, a business what is the typical thing you see when you go in and start this process well number one the hotel has not invested in the past in in financial leadership training and what I mean by that is in the hotel, we're always training our managers on service and engagement um, issues constantly, but they haven't had any formal training on the numbers. So we need to give them that. Um, and then the second piece is that um, leadership teams, individuals don't take the necessary time each day, each week, each month to deal with their numbers. It's always the last thing they deal with. And we've got to change that because the numbers are never going away. Um, and if we have great you know, daily habits and if we have great um, organizational skills, we have more than enough time to look after everything else we need to do as well as the numbers. But if we're waiting till Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. to do our numbers, it's never going to work. So take the amount of time to invest and um, practice what you need to be comfortable with. And what really underneath all of that is that inside of our business in the hotel, there are three pillars. And I've said this before, even just in the last 25 minutes, but there's the guests, there's the colleagues, and then there's the numbers. So those are the three pillars of our business and we need to treat them equally, which means equal effort in how we approach each one of those areas of our business. Yeah, and, it, and it's super interesting, the thing of when you are looking at this, especially also if it's something that you... Because I also, at some point in my career, felt this was very daunting, and I was very lucky to have a, a McDonald's franchisee I was I was employed with, and he loved numbers, and he sat down with me, and in my early days as a manager, and learned me. I was not even responsible for a restaurant at that point, so I actually he he spent a lot of time in what he was involved in the training, exactly understand when you invest here there's these possible three outcomes. And this is how it moves down the PL. I can still remember sitting in an Excel spreadsheet and simulating 
that with him. And of course, that came back to him many times again as I progressed in his organizations. And uh, and I got very comfortable. And he said, we always do finance as the first thing Monday morning when we come into a new week because we need to start. We need to know where we are. Even if it's crap, we need to know where we are. Absolutely. What has been, you know, in 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 your years, like the the biggest learning you've had on this? Because you said said you I've been on a journey myself where I started out, came from operation into finance. What has been like that moment where you said, now it's all giving sense? Yeah. Well, I firmly believe that anybody can master the numbers in hospitality. Look at me; I figured it out. And uh, as my mother used to say, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer every day. So remove the fear, you know, invest in our people, give them the training they need. And uh, again, we don't want them to do accounting. We just want them to be comfortable managing their payroll and their expenses. And I always say to people, look at it this way. The hotel business is not a science. And what that really means is that nobody's right and everybody is right and nobody is wrong and everybody is wrong. And people always look at me and say, well, what the heck do you mean by that, David? I say, well, here's the scenario in the hotel. Um, you have an option. You can have $5 more in room rate, or you can have two points in occupancy. Which would you rather have and why? And I asked that question to a group of people, either on an online session or in a live session. And when they start to answer, everybody's got a different answer. And that's it when it comes to the numbers, because it's not a science. And you've got to be comfortable saying, David, I'd rather have the rate because I know the rate's going to flow better and I'm going to have fewer uh, additional hours of payroll, and I'm going to have fewer actual uh, expense-related items because I'm not having more occupancy. And then you'd say, no, David, that's wrong. I want the occupancy because there's going to be more F&B spend and there's going to be more parking revenue. You're right, and I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'm wrong. you got to get comfortable having that debate. And that's where the, the penny drops for people when they realize that they have a comfort level with the numbers so that they can have that kind of a discussion. That's the, that is my biggest learning. It's not difficult. Anyone can master the numbers, but you've got to be comfortable. You're almost saying it's like learning a language because then you could start having these conversations about improvements instead of it's going to be this uh, sales and costs related kind of thing. It's sales. It's, it's a P&L. That's often people what they focus on then they get scared there's all these lines in a spreadsheet yeah and uh speaking as someone who knows just a little bit of french i know when i'm at my wife's family place and they're all talking french i'm afraid to open my mouth um but once i do um i then get to practice and i can then see that there was progress uh so that's really what it's about is remove the fear um practice and that's where the training part comes in, because if you get a group of leaders together in a room talking about the numbers, that automatically takes the temperature down. That automatically makes people more comfortable. And a question I was thinking about when you were saying that as well, uh, I think it's very interesting. What what horizons should we look at finance now? Because uh, uh, what, what I'm trying to say is that I actually think that we have maybe sometimes had a bit too short time looking at 
if we want to make results because I am a big believer of compound uh, interest of things, compound strategic interest that sometimes you need to start doing something and continue doing it and you're really not going to have your impact before six to 12 months. That's the best kind of finance strategies I, I have definitely done myself. I don't know, what are, what are you thinking in, in a pre-pandemic where everybody is still feeling they're probably bleeding in, in, in many ways? Yeah, well, um, you know, when was the best time to plant a tree well it was yesterday right <laughs> but yesterday's gone today's here so again what we need to be able to do is to realize that if we want to get better at the numbers we need to invest in training and spending the time with our people and that that is never going to go away the numbers will never be perfect they're just like the guests they're just like the colleagues those are areas are never going to be perfect guest service will never be perfect our colleagues are never going to do exactly what we tell them. The numbers are the same way. And people have in their mind that it's like grade 10 math where there's an answer for my algebra problem. In business, the numbers don't function that way. The numbers are there just to give us a roadmap of where we're going and something to follow and something to guide us. And if I am comfortable reading my map as the housekeeper or the director of engineering, I'm going to be able to do my part and I'm going to be able to help deliver the result. That's all it's really about and i guess that uh, that leads into to the next question as well because where do you think we are when it comes to hospitality in the next 12 18 months somewhere and we can also take the uh, the financial angle on that but what, what if you had a crystal ball david yeah really well um i'm canadian but i live in america and i listen to the canadian news every day on my podcasts and i know where we are in america we're probably a couple of months ahead of canada i think america is probably a couple of months ahead of most of the world when it comes to coming back but things are going to come roaring back i was even on a conference call with a, a group of people earlier this week and they're from all over the world and they're talking about the different conferences they're going to be attending and the attendance numbers and i have clients where you know business is coming back in droves and in the beginning it's going to be leisure, um, but then the groups are going to start to happen and the corporate uh, travel will uh, kick in as well. And then lastly, it'll probably be the, the long haul travel, the overseas travel tourists. But I think in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll be back to where we were in 2019. And a lot of people are predicting it's going to take to 2025. I don't think so because there's so much pent up demand as well as people realize all of this can be taken away tomorrow again. So I'm going to go now. <laughs> That's the attitude people are going to have. And, you know, um, I think it's going to come back faster. Now we have a big challenge with staff shortages. And what did we learn, you know, from letting everybody go? Well, you know, um, back to what I said earlier, it's an investment. And the hotels that are operating at full capacity right now are really taking advantage of what's happening. And on the flip side, there's hotels that can't find staff, so they have limited number of rooms and limited number of days and hours of operation in their outlets. So that could have been avoided, I think, in many instances, if people took a more proactive approach to what they had to do a year and a half ago. So interesting, isn't that? It's almost like we come from where we, we had no revenue at all in our businesses to suddenly we have a capacity issue because of staff it's not because we can't get food and stuff like we just don't have any people to do the hospitality part of a business um and and and, and that can be quite it could be quite 
detrimental for some businesses, I think, as we go forward, because because that's uh, that's the revenue they probably needed, the profit they needed to to pay back whatever it's cost to them as well to go through this period. Well, I have a client um, who took the attitude from the very beginning of the crisis that he was going to make sure his staff were okay. And he worked with every single one of them individually to make sure that, excuse me, between their their unemployment uh, payments and what work they could offer them, that they would remain largely whole. And today he's operating um, and he's just crushing his competition uh, on his RevPAR index. And he has all of his staff. Uh, and it cost him, cost him a fair bit of money. But I bet you if we look back two years from now and we look at the ones that are the most successful, it's because they had the team and the people uh, ready to go um, at this point in the game rather than trying to, to start over and rebuild. Because if you're trying to rebuild a hotel team right now, that's a daunting task. Because, you know, there's nobody available, first of all. And secondly, you got to train all these people. Do you know how long it takes to train people inside of a hotel? It's a never-ending job. And if we have to start from scratch, it's like opening a hotel. And if you've ever been involved in opening a hotel, it's a big, big, big job. It's a two- to three-year project to get that normalized. Yeah, and that's exactly what you say, normalized, to, to get flow in a way, to get to that status of flow. I always called it when I opened restaurants, you know, said, yeah, it's a big bang, and then you find out it's it's all out of whack, you know. And then you need to get it get yeah. it into flow because people are everybody's on it in the beginning, and then you just they also some tiredness comes in, yeah. But like the flow thing is so important to get the flywheel effect, as Tim Collins talked about consistency now, because it, no matter what, people will be forgiven, of course, but people still want a proper experience and they don't they don't care if they're paid. I think that's also the reality. They, they, they will give some slack, but I think we are starting to get past that period as, as we open as well. And I think we need to be aware of that as a, a leader in the industry. David, uh, who has been most influential to your journey? Because uh, you've been, you know, you've been Four decades, there must be some people have inspired you on that journey. Yeah, I definitely have had the pleasure of having some great mentors. One of them, uh, his his name was Danny, and he was the corporate operations controller for our company. And uh, very early on in my financial career, he kind of took me under his wing. He was a great person, and um, he really helped my career grow, and he, he pushed me, and he told me I could do it. <laughs> Um, and he really helped a lot as far as my confidence and my um, um, ability to uh, make the moves that I made. Because when you move from one hotel to another and you start over with a brand new team and a new GM and you've got to master what's going on with the numbers inside of that business, it's it's challenging. So having someone like him in my uh, corner was really uh, hugely beneficial. And then there's another gentleman, um, Ted who we used to, his nickname is, was the commander, but um, he had such a great um, attitude when it came to the numbers and to leading his team and making sure that everybody did their part um, when it came to being responsible for the numbers, that it wasn't just accounting's deal to deal with the numbers. If you're a manager, I expect you to be comfortable with your numbers and we'll train you, but nobody gets a pass. Uh, and then the third, third guy uh, uh, would be uh, Philippe, and uh, he also had a nickname. We called him the Phantom, but uh, he, taught, he taught me some of the best lessons when it came to understanding 
how to deal with corporate and deal with the owners uh, when it comes to the numbers and what, you know, what they need to hear vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, what's going to sell and what's going to make them happy from their perspective. And he was a master at dealing with people and individuals and understanding that. And uh, again, he was a great mentor. Then the last person, um, I'll call her Heather, but uh, she's someone that I'm very inspired by. And uh, I was standing, you know, shoulder to shoulder with her 40 years ago, basically when she had her first job and she was, she actually gave me my uniform um, when I was a bus boy. She was working in the linen room. And today she's running um, all of North America and South America for a huge hotel company. And I worked with her in Toronto and, uh, you know, we, we had some really challenging uh, stuff to deal with, but she was just such a great uh, confidence builder as well as, uh, you know, she could carry the, the world on her shoulders. And she showed me how to handle all of that kind of pressure and that kind of responsibility with, with seemingly, you know, grace and uh, grace under fire. But those would be the four mentors. There's certainly been lots of others, but the four that I would mention. Great, great. There's some some great uh, some great very personal stories there as well. How, how do you, the David, running your own business now? You're you're not employed and and you've gone through the pandemic as well, like like many others. And it's always interesting to hear how people managing themselves and lead themselves. So, what do you do to 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 show up? You know, pro every day, as I call it, and make sure you can make an impact on on your business and and your customers. What is your secret? Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, 14 months ago, everything disappeared off my plate. Every single one of my clients, um, with the exception of one, canceled what we were doing. I had, you know, deposits for speaking engagements and workshops. All those had to be refunded. Um, but I battled back and uh, I pivoted and I took a lot of stuff online. And, uh, you know, um, the thing that I do every day um, is I get up early. Um, I get up usually at 4.30 or 5 a.m. Um, and that's my creative time between, you know, 4.30 and 7.30. It's the time when nobody else in the house is usually up or if they are, they're not bothering me. And um, I read this book um, and it's called The One Thing. And basically what the book says is there's one thing you need to do to make your business or your solopreneur or whatever you're doing successful find out what that one thing is and just keep doing it everything else will come from that one thing and for me the one thing is writing writing my blogs i've been publishing a blog for five years i write all the time and it creates so much other content that i can then repurpose for other video or audio but that one thing of getting up every morning and being creative getting my day organized and spending the time writing. That is the one thing that has made uh, it all work for me. Yeah, I'm a very big fan of the the one thing as well. So I was just sitting and nodding when you said that. Um, uh, it's a great, great, great book as well for people. We'll put it in the show notes, that's for sure. Um, I, have, I haven't thought about it for some time, but I really love that, you know, there's always one thing, in no matter what you're involved in, that really going to move the needle or whatever it is. And I love you really distilled it down with that, that one thing that starts the flywheel for, for your business. Yeah. I know when, uh, when I've had a good day, I can look back and I can say that's because of whatever, but it started with me writing something that day. I, I got creative. I nailed it. 
and when I can look and see when I've had a lousy day, I didn't write anything. <laughs> it's that simple. It's it's interesting. It's so interesting, and and then it gives you a it gives you a framework and a rhythm. I often say to people, well, whatever you do, if it's exercise or whatever that makes you to get out of the the starting block, um, and also I without a shameless. Uh, plugging in here i've been on david's website there's some incredible insights if you're interested in getting better in, in numbers just reading through the websites and that's probably some of the work you've done in in the early early mornings there's there absolutely as we're coming to the end here david what top advice would you give to to leaders out there in hospitality as they are moving forward from from where we are now with the the pandemic and the whole world what is like your top three advice and you you can put on your your financial leadership hat if you want to do that okay number one you got to know the difference between an, an expense and an investment so if i'm running a hotel and I, I need to buy toilet paper that's an expense but when it comes to training my managers and training my leaders and building my team that's an investment and an investment unlike the toilet paper gives you value over a long period of time. People need to realize the difference and be able to um, leverage their uh, alignment with their ownership and their brand so that they get the kind of investments they need. And if you're the GM, that's your number one job is to get the things you need for your team to be prosperous. So the difference between the expense and the investment is key. Number two, I really believe that leadership is about two things. It's about communicating What's the mission? What? How are we going to do this? Uh, what needs to happen? And then the second part of leadership, it's about developing people. So communicate with them and then develop them because your number one job, if you're leading a team, is to make sure your people are successful. If they're successful, you'll be successful. The third thing is make sure that every single one of your managers is, is charged with the same three things inside of your hotel. They're responsible for their guests, guest service. Nobody gets a pass. They're responsible for their colleague engagement. Everybody has to have a team where people are respected and appreciated. And everybody is responsible for their numbers. Nobody gets to run their department and not know what's in the middle of their statement and not do their forecast and not do their commentary and not do their budget. That's just those three things need to be instilled in uh, the operation so that's my top three advice love 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 them great advice uh david and uh, uh i think i think that it is so true that you know i love the thing you talk about expensive and investment because that's also a conversation i often had with people uh yeah well that's just a running expense that's not an investment investment is actually where we start doing something to change behavior i often say and actually behave it as to the positive of everyone, not just the company. I used to get uh, a hard time from my HR people because they would bring me purchase orders for, for service training, as an example. And I would always say to them, so before I sign this, when am I getting my money back? And they would always look at me and say, David, you're so mean. You know, you know as well as I do that we can't, you know, prove how much money comes from this training. We just need to do it. But with financial leadership training, you can prove it because those managers will come back to you with ideas, concrete things that are going to generate more uh, profits for the business, savings, revenue ideas. Write them all down. At the end of the year, you'll be amazed what people have been able to produce. 
So I always tell people there's a return on investment for financial leadership training. You just need to track it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So um, where can people find out more? We talked a bit about your website and, and so on, but where, where can people go and, and learn more even? Yeah, so my website is called hotelfinancialcoach.com. Um, there's all kinds of information there. There's um, almost five years of blogs, weekly blogs. So you can literally spend the next uh, three or four months reading all that stuff every day. And um, also in there, I have links to all the different things that I do, my speaking, my video course, my online workshops, my one-on-one -on -one programs. I also have an asset management program where I work with hotel owners to figure out their finances and figure out how to be better and stronger. So all that's in my website. Again, it's hotelfinancialcoach.com. And in there, there's also a calendar link. So if anybody wants to talk to me, just click on it and find a convenient time. And it'd be my pleasure to speak with you. And, uh, you know, no, no, um, you know, amount of, uh, there's no, there's not going to be any selling done. I'm going to listen to what, what uh, you're up to and, and offer some great advice. And as well, people can email me and that's David at hotelfinancialcoach.com. I'm also on LinkedIn as David Lund, the hotel financial coach. And, um, you know, reach out. Um, I can also be reached by, uh, by my cell phone, but I'm not going to give out the number here because it probably get a bunch of uh, nasty stuff. But anyways, if people want to find me, my website is really the place to start. And, uh, you know, again, reach out if, if you're interested in, in talking about how I can help you or even how I can give you some, uh, some help for free. Great, 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 David. Uh, we'll put the things in the in the show notes as well, so so people can find you there. Uh, I will, uh, I will let you. I know you're going on holiday, so I'll let you go and uh, enjoy that. And uh, I'm sure we will catch up soon. And I send you uh, power and energy to to the journey ahead. And uh, enjoy the holiday. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning, and I uh, love what you do. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much, David, for your amazing insight into improving your financial impact in the hospitality business. I would recommend you now to sit down with a pen and paper and ask yourself, how can I invest in myself and my people's ability to improve our financial leadership skills? If you want to learn more about how to become savvier with your numbers, please tune in to episode number three, how to increase restaurant profitability with Even Brewer restaurant and profitability expert and as well as thought leader and now founder of Pizero Profitability Software. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of that, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.